American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. I think so. Are you ready? Yes. Let me take a sip of my delicious oh, hot plant from Bell's Beer, Brails Brewery in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Dear Dream, no. Ch- Dream Chasers Beer Brewery, all you have to do is give me some free beer and we'll shout you out. You just did shout them out. Well, I will tell everyone. We haven't even started yet. So. Anyway, I, sometimes I walk to a brewery called Dream Chasers. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. I'm Amy. 60s style. I am Greg the Hammer no, Valentine. No, that's Joe. Yes, I have taken over this podcast. I am the greatest wrestler in American history, and now we're getting there where I was born. And Joe, uh, I will admit, Joe's a great podcast host, uh, but he has summoned me uh, magically by saying my name all the time. All right. So I decided to come to Waxhaw and take over, and now I'm with Joe's wife, Amy. And this is the podcast that Greg brings you all the crazy, nostalgic, interesting things that have happened in the years past, and we do it year by year. And, and we drop the knowledge like a hammer, like Greg the Hammer Valentine would. And this evening, My, we are going to talk about 1960. That's We're going right. way back. Welcome to the new season. Yes. Of American Timelines. And who better to welcome you to the new season than Greg the Hammer Valentine? All right. This joke is not... It wasn't not, even funny the first time. You know what? Not all jokes have to be funny. Well, there's that's the whole purpose of a joke, honey. You know what? I'm glad you still called me honey. That means you love all me. Jokes My name is have Joe. Funny. And it's not a joke. It's an homage to Greg the Hammer Valentine. But now we're going to jump into the 60s. This is episode 59. Whoa. Welcome to episode 59. 59, dude. 50, no, 59, dude is not a thing. That's 60. Oh, okay. We'll get there in 10 episodes. We'll be there in this. Well, you know what the crazy thing is? What? We're jumping into the 60s and we're We won't be there in 10 episodes because we do like three episodes per year. We'll be this episode 69. In oh, episode episodes. 69. I thought you meant but that's 1969. No, no. That's kind of the crux of it. Like, we're entering the 60s, the 60th episode. Oh, and, and it we're will talking be about in 1960s. the 60s. So it's like, going to get real confusing again. Yeah. Like, next episode will be 1961, yes. and it'll be the 60th episode. It's going to be confusing. And then the 61st episode will be 62. Jesus, I can't. It's will too be, much math. Oh, no, it won't be. It depends on where we're at. All at right. At some point, we'll match up years, I think, maybe, with the episode. It'll be like Haley's Comet. All right. I think it's Haley's Comet. Okay, so what's the first thing? Oh, so we're going to jump right into the yeah, 60s. Yeah, we've we got to jump into the 60s. We don't 60s. have to wrap up the 70s or anything. We wrapped it up with Elvis's death. It was crazy. And, and it was a wild ride. we're jumping back another 10, almost 20 years. We're going yes, backwards, right. back to the beginning of the 60s. Because uh, if, if you are a new listener or you don't know what's going on, we started with the 90s. Because our idea was, we thought the murders and stuff would get more juicy and and awesome as we go. We knew the 70s would be good. Yeah. So we wanted to practice with the crappy, stupid 90s and the dumb 80s. And we thought by the time we get to the 70s and 60s and stuff, we'll know what we're doing. Kinda. Yes. And and we were wrong. We, 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 we don't never know do. what we're doing. Yeah, we yeah, still we, don't know what we're doing. We're not any good. We're still a shitty podcast. But you know what? This isn't for you. You don't have to say it's a shitty podcast. Oh, it's a shitty. Why would you say that? Well, it's shitty people doing a podcast. How about that? It's All two right, shitty I'll, people. I bring you that. We're terrible people. Okay. Amy uh, cheats on her taxes. I killed a guy. Um, and so, no, Harry, we're on the... We're gonna, but now we're into the 60s, and we're going to jump to an era where uh, we're just saying this. Like, people... Uh, we're not going to have less and less people that can say, hey, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Because people that were born in the 60s are... That's right. And I older. read, and I just read, and we were talking about this, I just read that um, ha- almost half of the population was under 18 in 1960. And so that's, yeah, a, the, that's a very young, um, that's a really young g- group demographic. 
Is it though? Do we even know? It might be the same way now. We don't know because you didn't no, check, so no, don't because know. people don't have kids. I mean, kids. Some people people do. don't live. People live like what three way times longer. as long as eighteen. I mean, oh, so as much old people. But some people still have a bunch of children. No, it that's a lot. I just wonder what it is. We need well, to find I'll out to compare. Up. We don't have time for that. While you look it up. What percentage of the people are under 18? <laughs> of the people. That's <laughs> 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 not smart. You have, don't get it. you have like two master's degrees. 24%. And what was it in the 60s? Almost 50. Oh, shit. So it's okay. It's a huge difference. Well, now I have context. Now it sounds like a big thing. <laughs> Whereas when you're just saying random facts that don't, I have nothing to compare it to. Anyway. Well, compare that. You know how I usually, when we jump into a new year or a new decade, I give you some things that I don't really have dates for, but they're something that happened that year and it gives you a feel yes. for what's going on. Yes. Well, the price of a cord of firewood <laughs> <help you. laughs> delivered, if you had it delivered in 1960, was $32. And I'm going to play it back on you. What is it now? Oh, you don't know no. how much it costs to have a cord and of firewood What is firewood a cord delivered? of firewood? A cord? How, how oh, much is a cord? It's uh, enough. It's a, b- a little more than a bushel, a little less than a pack. Anyway, that's been 1960. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And <laughs> we'll get you back next episode. We All will right. cover how much a Kenmore washing machine was uh, in No, okay. What was it? It was $158. Sweet. Can you imagine buying a washing those, machine for 150 And those appliances bucks? in the 60s, those fuckers would go through a nuclear war. My grandma okay. had we a dishwasher have. from 1960 like 4 and she it she died like 2 years ago. So yeah. She had it the whole time and it ran and it, I mean you they still used have to it? No, but they used to build them like so much better than they do now cuz now heard, they just want you to buy a new one all the time. I heard there was a fire recently. Mhm. And they found a kid survived the fire he was in the washing machine. What that has nothing to do with what I was just saying. Well, they survive everything. Washing machine. Maybe it was a 1960s washing machine. Maybe. Anyway, you cannot get a washing machine for $158 anymore. In 1960, zip codes were first introduced. Wow. That's crazy. They didn't have zip codes before They didn't have zip codes. Yeah, you couldn't find anything. That's nuts to think of. The Postal Service had to figure out how to let people know what they were and how to use them and what they were, so... They used a mascot named Mr. Zip to help people into the transition. Sweet. He appeared in several commercials and was a successful marketing tool for the new postal plan. He was shaped like a penis and balls. No, he was not. Yeah, he was. And he just like, I'm Mr. Zip. And he's like, I'm going to come into your house. No, he did not. Now you're making all this stuff now. Zip codes are sexual. No, I don't know what he looked like or anything. You didn't look that up? No, but I think I did, but. Don't remember. I've been drinking a lot of hop slam. But think about it. There weren't zip codes. I know. I said that's not. Did you need zip codes, I guess? Yeah. I mean, you need. That's the first thing they look at, I think, when they're routing mail is the zip code. Those poor postal workers. How do they know where to send anything? Mail probably was oh, just wrong God, all the time. All the time. I got my zip code tattooed on my uh, inside of my lip. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like a like a jail, like a gangster. Yep. And then every time I move, I get it changed. I put I put it over it. And then you move, yeah, you put another one over it. Yeah, so it's, you can't really tell what it says anymore. <laughs> it's a hot look, though. In January, uh, in the, or in 1960, most root beers. Uh, Where are your fucking glasses? Oh, yeah, that's why I can't see it. Jesus H, bald-headed Christ on a popsicle stick. Hey, now that's not appropriate. I'm going to have to get that. I'm going to have to bleep that. God damn it. Do you, what do you how do you get your ass wiped in a normal day? Somebody doesn't tell you to. It must get real gross. Cuz I have a feeling I don't think you could get much done of any sort. Were you talking to me? Yes. What did you say about my asshole? I said, how do you get your ass wiped in the daytime when nobody's there to tell oh, you I to? Oh, I don't I don't wipe. That's what I figured. Okay, did you know that most root beers are artificially flavored due to the FDA banning sassafras oil as a carcinogen in 1960? No, I did not. Yeah, sassafras oil is how they made root beer. 
And it was carcinogenic? Yeah, well, the FDA banned the food. Uh, the, the, they banned the use of safrole, which is the oil. Of sassafras? of sassafras? What is sassafras? Is that a sassafras? Plant? Is that a fruit or a vegetable? It's the or? main component of sassafras root bark. It's sassafras oh, it's root. root bark. Sassafras. When the <laughs> <laughs> all right, they did this when the volatile compound was found to cause cancer in animals. Oil of sassafras is sometimes applied topically to treat lice. Oh, really? And that was in root beer. Yeah. Um. And so they Still. they they saw thought they found out that it caused liver damage in animals, so they banned it uh, for human consumption. I see. Uh, it's still regarded by the FDA to be a weak carcinogen in rats. However, according to a 1977 study of the metabolites of safrole in both rats and humans, two carcinogenic metabolites of safrole found in Are the urine sure of rats. Are you saying that word right? Metabolites. Hydroxysafrole and hydroxyososafrole were not found in human urine. This is really fascinating, but <laughs> I put can we too move much, on? This is the beginning of my research, so you know, at the beginning I put like, everything in there. Yeah, and then, way too much. Okay, so, so in 1960 that happened. Also, Slinky Inventor in 1960, the Slinky Inventor Richard James mm-hmm. left his wife and their six children to join a cult down in Bolivia. Oh, really? Now... According to popculture.us, it's a cult. But I looked up what he joined, and I think it's just it's a nonprofit that's trying that teaches the Bible to people in other languages. Oh, it's not really a cult, I don't think. Um, anyway, but when he left, his wife Betty took over, and she turned the failing company completely around. Did she? Yep. Good, good for her. And in two thousand one, Betty was inducted into the Toy Industry Hall of Fame. Sweet. And who would have thought there was a Toy Industry Hall of Fame? But the group That'd he be joined, fun to go to, probably. He joined Wycliffe Global Alliance, which is uh, trying to translate the Bible for every group that needs it, whenever that is. Oh, all right. Also in 1960? Yeah. Uh, the richest per capita city in America? Mm-hmm. The richest per capita city mm-hmm. in America? Was what? According to the U.S. Census Bureau. Mm-hmm. I could give you 50 guesses. And, you and I, would say, I wouldn't get it. Yep. What is Do you want to guess? Well, I'm not going to guess it if you... Yeah, well, what would you say a, if I hadn't give said... Give me a before? region. What if I hadn't said... Give me like a, a, a geographic no, no. region I, I will. it's in. I will after you take the, your first guess as to what you would have said if I hadn't told you you wouldn't get it. Like, yeah. What would you say the richest per capita city in America in 1960 might 1960. Probably somewhere out west, maybe? No, it definitely isn't, but... Okay. But you would have said that maybe yeah. Los Angeles or yeah, something, Yeah, something maybe. like that. Detroit. Whoa, because of the auto industry. Or as some people say, Detroit. Yeah. Before it failed miserably and is now really a hell on earth. I know. Like it is a hell on yeah. earth. Yeah. Like you're lucky to get out get out with your lungs. With your lungs? Yeah. I mean, people are s- stealing people's lungs and selling them. Oh, wow. Jujubees. Didn't know that was happening. Probably. I assume. Yeah. Um, 1960 was the first year that the census was mailed out. And that's when they found out the richest city. Before that, census takers went to homes and determined people's races by looking at them. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> uh, your eyes are a little bit slanted. Well, and, and I'm going to put you down as Asian. And they didn't have a category for Latino or Native American. Those people were all it considered was like, white. And I'm sure probably Oriental was on the form somewhere. Yeah, they had a bunch of Asian, but there was no... Everyone was white. But it was called was, Oriental. Yeah, anybody that wasn't Asian or black was white. Jeez. Isn't that weird? Yes. Um, uh, from 1960 all the way to 1977, the nuclear trigger code given to the president of the U.S. was 00000000. Oh. I don't know if I said the right amount of zeros because there's a bunch of them there. Yeah. That was the nuclear trigger code? Yeah. Why did they just do a shitload of zeros? I don't know. So it's real easy to put it in a panic. They changed really it in 1977. Um, easy to remember, I guess. During uh, Mao's China in 1958, thousands of sparrows were killed to try and alleviate a pest problem they posed. But in 1960, a huge amount of locusts appeared in China and ate all the crops due to the fact that the there was natural no sparrows had been destroyed. An estimated 20 million Chinese people died. Oh my God! Wow. Um, you don't fuck with Mother Nature. 
And let's see. That was a 70s commercial. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Remember that? Nope. But AARP began pub, uh, publication in 1960. All right. First the AARP. Have you ever heard of Operation Acoustic Kitty? Nope. In, in uh, a 1960s CIA operation to implant a listening device in a cat to spy on the Soviets. This oh, happened in geez. 1960. In the first test, the cat was released in Washington, D.C., and he was promptly run over by a taxi. Oh, my. What, they just released him in the street? Yeah. How's he going to spy on the Soviets if he's released in Washington, D.C.? Well, the first test. It was a test to try to oh. see if he could pick up stuff. Um, yeah. Um, Poor kitty. It was an hour-long procedure of a, a veterinary surgeon implanting a microphone in the cat's ear canal, a small radio transmitter at the base of his skull, and a thin wire into its fur. This would allow the cat to innocuously record and transmit sound from its surroundings. That's a terrible idea. Cats are yep. cats are some of the most unpredictable animals there I know, are. I know. Just, oh, that one's just licking that other one's asshole. Yeah. Like, all I can hear oh, is an asshole being licked. Now the cat's out in the sandbox taking a shit. Yep. And now the cat's and then in the garage. Covering the shit still. Oh, yep. it's still covering the shit. Oh, did you hear what Marty said? No, I didn't hear any spy secrets, but I sure heard a lot of fucking purring. <laughs> Seriously. He really likes meow mix. Well, and purring is so loud. Yeah. It was, that's, that's all you would hear is purring. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think the, the key to the Russian interference would be... Yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. And then they, yeah. Um... Oh, they were, I guess that first mission, it was in D.C., it was to eavesdrop on two men in a park outside the Soviet compound on Wisconsin Avenue oh. in D.C. Oh. And then he was hit by a taxi, apparently, right away. So they tried it again? No, that, that, that was that, the that only one time. time. But that's why it was in D.C. They were trying to oh. listen to, I guess it was a test, but it was there was a thing it was trying to listen to. God, that's a stupid idea. Yeah. Who came up with that? Yeah, it was Plus considered a failure. awful. Um, in, listen to this. In 1940, less than half the adult U.S. population belonged to a church. Mm-hmm. In 1960, over 65% of adults were official communicants. I wonder what it is now. It's another one we want to find out. I don't know. If only we had a phone. You want me to look it up real quick? Here's some people, since you hate birthdays, you don't want me to go through the whole year and name everybody. Here are some people. So Just get- name everybody in the whole year? I mean, you don't want me to go through and have a birthday every every time somebody has a birthday. So here's some famous people that were born. What percentage of Americans go to church? Let's see. Uh, 37%. Jeez, and what did I say, 65%? Wow. And what was it in 1940? Less than half. Okay. So probably 40 Something. Probably about what it is now. Maybe. It feels like living down here, though, it feels like it, it's 95%. We don't have to get mad at me. Anyway, here's some people who were born in 60, 1960. So you get okay. to feel how long ago this was. These people were born. All right. James Spader, Valerie Bertinelli, Chris Elliott. Yes. They were all born in 1960. 1960. Scott Baio, Willie Ames, your all favorite right. actor. All right. Jean Claude Van Damme. Oliver Platt. I didn't know he was that old, I guess. Daryl Hannah. Kyle Gass. Yeah. Chuck D. Bono. Amy Grant. Damon Wayans and your favorite, David Duchovny. We're all born in 1960. <laughs> yep, he's my favorite. John Elway. All right. What's next? Jane Lynch. <laughs> They're all born in 1960. Jesus. Those people are all the same age. Um, okay. Um uh, in in TV news, nearly ninety percent of homes in the U.S. now have a TV set. Ninety percent. Ninety percent. Okay. Here's the t- instead of going through each TV show and yes. doing a bunch of stuff. Here's the top five TV shows of 1960. Okay. Number five, The Real McCoys. Okay. You know what that is? Nope. I'm probably not going to know any of these. I thought you knew. I didn't put. I didn't look up anything about these because I thought you knew them. The other ones you know. Number four is the Andy Griffith Show. Oh yeah. Number three was Have Gun, Will Travel. Don't know that on one. CBS. Number two is Wagon Train. Yeah, I've heard of that. NBC. And number one is Gunsmoke on CBS. And I remember that. Shit. Well, I better look up uh, Have Gun, Will Travel and The Real McCoys. My grandma loved Gunsmoke. She would watch she that did. all the time. Yep. Three guitarists. 
billing themselves at least three times as Johnny and the Moondogs, were playing rock and roll whenever they could find a drummer. Mm -hmm. And then John Lennon's art school friend, Stuart Sutcliffe, who had just sold one of his paintings and was persuaded to purchase a bass guitar, joined his band in January of 1960, and it was he who suggested changing the band's name from the Quarrymen to the Beatles mm. as a tribute to Buddy Holly and the Crickets. And they spe- I wonder why they spelled it wrong. Well, at this point, they spelled it even a different way. B-E-A-T-A-L-S. Oh. Beatles. And they pronounced it Beatles. No, they did not. <laughs> they might have. No. Anyway, they didn't change it yet in January of 1960, but they got the guy who changed, Stuart Sutcliffe okay. joined, and that, he's the one who changed it to the Beatles. That's good. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, whoops. One more thing on this page. But the Beatles haven't really kind of really formed yet. Okay. And then on, oh, and as we're entering this 1960, here is the song that is already, it, it took oh, the over. Number the, one. It already took over the charts on, in December 20, on December 28th of 1959. This is the number one song as we enter 1960 on the Billboard charts. Frankie Avalon. I'm not even going to have you guess now because you know I don't. Really I won't know. I don't. I will know some of them, but this one I don't know. You won't know many of them in 1960. This one's called Why. Can you just hear this in the car with the teenagers making out? Yeah. In the movies and stuff. Um, and when I, if you look this song up online, the top video you find on YouTube is all of these in 1960 yeah. are all from Dick Clark. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dick Clark's uh, American, American Bandstand, Bandstand was on Saturdays, I guess. And he comes out mm-hmm. and he's singing. He doesn't have a microphone. There's no law. Oh, yeah. It's, it must be just lip syncing. Uh-huh. But everyone in the audience is just screaming. Uh, Frankie Avalon? Yeah, it's just girls screaming like they did for the Beatles. Just Yeah. It's just like they're just screaming. Now, was it Frankie Avalon the one in Greece? Yeah. It played the Teen Angel. I think it's. I think it was. Frankie Avalon. Yeah, I think it was. I get him mixed up with Frankie Valley. Frankie Valley. Yeah. I think it was this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so he looks young. He still looks like he's forty. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, in this video, but Dick Clark looks really young. Yeah. Uh, he's got a greaser haircut. But anyway, why is a hit song recorded by Frankie Avalon in 1959 that went number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart, published on the week of December 28, 1959, for the week? Ending of January 2nd, 1960. Making it the last number one single of the 50s and the first number one single of the 60s at the same time. Uh, it was written by Avalon's manager and record producer, Robert Bob Marcucci mm-hmm. and Peter DeAngelis. Mm-hmm. It was Avalon's second and final number one hit. The melody is based on an Italian song. Mm-hmm. The Avalon version, you heard that woman singing? Yeah. It features an uncredited female singer. Some people think it's Fran Laurie. Other people think it is an alien. What? Yes. No, you're making some shit up Well, I think it's an alien. I think it might be Greg the Hammer Valentine. All right. What's next? Let's get rid of that. You know, I'll just keep it throughout the whole thing. Um. Okay. And then Monday, January 4th, yeah. 1960, we have our second number one hit of 1960. <laughs> oh, down in the West, town of El Paso. Yeah, town wow. of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Yeah. You know this? Yeah. Why? I told you I'm going to know these. Why? I don't know. I lived a life. You lived a life. Yeah, I've heard these songs. Are you older than I think you are? No. <laughs> no. You were born in the 50s, I think. No, but yeah, I know this one. You look so young. My grandma used to listen to all this music. This is terrible. So far, they're terrible. Marty Robbins, El Paso. Yeah. This is a country and western ballad written and originally recorded by Marty Robbins as first released on Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs in September 1959. Gunfighter Ballads yeah. and Trail Songs. Yeah. That's funny. Uh I kind of like this one. It was a hit on the country charts. You do? I kind of do. I can't be married to you anymore. This might be. I the like old timey country, like the outlaws and the and just like real old fashioned country because it it's like a different era. I hate country, modern country, but I I don't know what it is about the old timey country that's I, charming to me. 
Well, this one is considered a classic for its gripping narrative, which ends in the death of its protagonist. The shift from past to present tense, haunting harmonies by vocalist Bobby Sykes and Jim Glazer of the Glazer Brothers. Yep. And the eloquent and varied Spanish guitar, accompanied by Grady Martin, that lends the recording a distinctive Tex-Mex feel. Yeah. It does make me want to eat Tex-Mex. Tex- yeah. Uh, the name of the character Felina in the song is, is based upon a schoolmate of Robin's in the fifth grade. This is just one of those, like, I can picture it, people going into a bar in the West. This is what's playing, like, in a movie. I don't know. Definitely wants, makes me want to drink some moonshine. No, it's more of a Western thing, not a moonshiny thing. Isn't that the West? Moonshine? moonshine is just hillbillies. Oh, well, makes me want to drink old ale. Mead? No, that's not What do they call it? What do they call old ale in the West? I don't know. Well, it makes me want to drink Hopslam. Well, I can't take any more of that. All right. It sounds like Elvis to me. I kind of like it. Elvis sounded like that in the old days. Like, yeah. You know, when we did our Elvis cast, I listened to a lot of late Elvis. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's it was bad. Terrible. I know. His late, his late stuff was bad. It was all sounded like this. Was, ooh, it, was crooning. it was just like, ah. Oh. Yeah. But people loved it. Like those weird Elvis people. Yeah. It seemed like the people loved late Elvis are the same people that like collect precious moments. Yes, it is. Like plates, it is the exact commemorative same. plates. And they have like they have speedboats. <laughs> they have speedboats, <laughs> I guess. And, and it's farmer tans all the time. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. They're just they wear a lot of paisley. I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, and there's nothing between this number one and the next number one, so I'll just go into the next song. Oh. Now, this one I don't mind so much. Johnny Preston. Oh. I think I've heard this before too. It's kind of racist a little bit. It is it's totally it, racist. Is it black? Is it black? A black band or white? Well, I think the white guy. Then it's really racist. Well, they're singing about Native Americans. I know they are, but, but you know, I, I thought it would be less. For like some the, reason, it would be less racist. If it was a black group singing about Native Americans. Doesn't sound like the Uga Shaka. Uga Shaka. A little bit. Yeah, I've heard this before. At the beginning of it sounds just like that Ooga Shaka, Ooga yeah. Shaka song. Anyway, Running Bear is a song by Johnny Preston, written by Giles Perry Richardson, a.k.a. The Big Bopper. Yeah. I thought you knew that. But sung by Johnny Preston in 1959. This has background vocals by Richardson and George Jones, and the session's producer Bill Hall, who provided the Indian chanting of Ooga Ooga during the verses, as well as the Indian war cries at the start and end of the record. Oh, boy. Um, it was number one for three weeks in January 1960. Yeah. Uh, Richardson was a friend of Preston and offered Running Bear to him after hearing him perform in the club. Mm-hmm. You might want to turn it down just a little bit. Yeah. It's a little too loud. Anyway. Um, he offered him the song after hearing him perform it in a club. Preston recorded the song at the Gold Star Studios in Houston, Texas in 1958. The saxophone was played by Link Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, Preston was signed to Mercury Records, and Running Bear was released in August 1959, seven months after Richardson's death in the same plane crash that killed Buddy Holly and Richie Valens. Yeah, and the Big Bopper. This song was used in the 1994 movie A Simple Twist of Fate. Well, he is the Big Bopper. That's what that's who Richardson is. Oh, he is? Remember I said he's the big bopper? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. He is the big bopper. Maybe That's I was probably about. mesmerized by the music. Yeah. I'm talking about the big bopper. That's who, who, we're, who we're talking about It's here. kind of boring. It's a little bit boring. That's boring. Uh, you're all, you, you know what? Not everything's bells and whistles. Well, it's supposed to be. This is a bells and whistles podcast. This song was in the 1994 movie A Simple Twist of Fate, which stars Steve Martin as Michael McCann. All right. I don't want the next song. Yep, you, you have to. I know what. I know that next one too. Yeah, you know Teen what? Teen Angel, can you hear me? I think. Teen Angel, can you see me? Are you somewhere up above, and am I still your own? Anyway, so we're not to that one yet. Anyway, that's Monday, January eighteenth, and then Monday, February first, nineteen sixty. Now we're. This is going to be fun. There's a lot of stuff. Here's the thing. A lot of stuff I found. I'll just preface this. Nineteen sixty. It's not funny. There's a lot of stuff yeah, that's not it's fun. It's tragic. Yeah, there's a lot of civil rights. Like yeah, civil oh, rights yeah, was huge. Was, the like, whole the whole decade. Yeah, the whole decade. But 1960, just in itself, this year yeah. is going to be a lot of church bombings, civil and rights, and law passing, and yeah. fighting, and um, but I mean, it's the start of an uncomfortable time. Yeah, 
And, well, and the and further back we get, the more this turns into a history podcast. Oh, yeah, and then it becomes, well, we are history for jerks. Right. So we have to try where we can to find the stupid and the funny. In the, in the midst of the horror. Right, in the midst of the horror. So according to history.com, mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's related to the History Channel. Mm-hmm. On February 1st, 1964, African-American college students sat down at a lunch counter mm. in the Woolworths yes. in Greensboro, North Carolina. Yes. And they politely asked for service, and their request was refused. Mm-hmm. When asked to leave, they remained in their seats. Their passive resistance and peaceful sit-down and peaceful sit-down demand helped ignite a youth-led movement to challenge racial inequality throughout the South. Good. The, the Greensboro Four, right? Yep, the Greensboro Four. The sit-in movement soon spread to college towns throughout the South, though many of the protesters were arrested for trespassing, disorderly contact, c- conduct, or disturbing the peace. Their actions made an immediate and lasting impact, forcing Woolworths and other establishments to change their segregationist policies. Good. The only thing I can remotely say that might be, you know, not to make light of any of this, but Woolworths really wasn't that good. Uh, we had a Woolworths. Yeah. Well, uh, by the time we came the, along, yeah. Woolworths weren't that yeah, good. Yeah, Woolworths was shitty in the 80s. Yeah, it was. My dad used to say, oh, let's go to Woolworths, and we'd have to go to Woolworths. And it's kind of like the dollar store now. Yeah, they had it. It's just a, nothing but crap. There was a Woolworths in the same mall as where we would get our school clothes. My grandma yeah. would take us to get our school clothes every year. Yeah, we had one, okay, too. Okay, get your school clothes, pick out your tennis shoes for the year, and pick out these a couple jeans, and then we're going to go to Woolworths for lunch. And the ladies that were in there were probably from this, this era. era. Yeah, they still were working like, there. Yeah, they were wearing Klansmen garb. No, they no, were not. No, but they had beehives, and they looked like they were from the 60s. And it wasn't good. It was all dirty and gross. And, yep. And uh, real bright white fluorescent lighting yeah, and stuff. Yeah, was like blue plaid everywhere, like, like a country kitchen type thing. Anyway, but I'm sure then it was probably good yeah uh, well not good it was terrible but the sit-in movement okay what i said greensboro for uh they were Azel blair jr david richmond franklin mccain and joseph mcneil they were all four students from north carolina agricultural and technical college um heroes they were influenced by mahandas Mahan- gandhi mm-hmm. uh, as well as the Freedom Rides, organized by the Congress for Racial Equality in 1947. Um, anyway, they were spurred to action by the brutal murder of Emmett Till, mm-hmm. which you heard of in 1955. Mm-hmm. You know? yep. And he was back in the news because there was something about that. Like they finally exonerated him or something, even though they hadn't. Or there was something in the news recently about Emmett about, Till. Really? Yeah, I thought. Um, um did you know that the former Woolworths in question, that where this happened, mm-hmm. now houses the International Civil Rights Center and Museum? Oh, that's that's pretty cool. It features a restored version of the lunch counter where the Greensboro Four sat. Oh, I bet that's neat to go to. Yeah, and part of the original counter is on display at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C. I've heard that there's a an African-American history museum in, I don't know if it's part of the Smithsonian or if it's just in Washington, D.C., but um, I heard somebody talking about how you can spend uh, three days going through that museum. It's so good. It's got so much in it's it. It's so good. The yeah. African American. The African American Museum. It's like there's a it's whole in DC. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. Huh. There's a whole floor of just. Um, well, a, let's be a, honest. Let's be honest. A, like music and art and everything related to African American people is so much better than any other people. Yeah. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the the best people. Let's just be honest. The best people are black people. <laughs> I mean, seriously. This, yeah. Like, let's just put it out there. Like they. Everything is just cooler and better. Like, yeah. it's just, like there was a. I just walked through an American African American festival today that was at uh, Uptown, and I walked through it, and everything was just cool. Like it was mm-hmm. a bunch of Barack Obama paintings and things. Yeah, and it was just like the music was all cool and great, and like, yeah, they had a giant Jay Z and a Beyonce. We should thing take the kids a, to Washington D.C. Yeah. and see some of that stuff. All right, let's go right now. Let's end the podcast and go. Yep. All right. Uh, Monday, February first. 1960, in a first for U.S. audiences, CBS broadcasts the 1960 Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics. Oh, the first time on TV. You know, Friday through September, but mm-hmm. it started in February and then went through September. Yeah, it was the first time it was on TV. Um, and it's was boring then and it's boring now. Yeah, viewers were, were treated to 31 hours of coverage. Oh, but, you Jesus know, Christ. Think about it. Back then, they, they were excited about listening to the goddamn radio. Yeah, they so were. They were it's probably true. excited to see something. I mean, uh, they were, that's why there were so many parades back then. Yeah. 
And then, so I got a lot of Olympic stuff this year coming. Um, There's some big shit that happened in 1960. And then Wednesday, February 3rd, 1960, the term paparazzi Mm -hmm. originated with Italian director Federico Fellini's La Dolce Vita. Oh. One of the minor characters in the film was a photographer named Paparazzo. Oh, is that where it comes from? that's where paparazzi comes from. That's interesting. And that comes from an Italian word for noisy mosquito. Oh, is it? Yeah. Did you know that? No, I did not. I did not know that. Uh, Monday, February 8th, 1960, the Time Magazine uh, published, they reported that the U.S. Navy had detected a dark object thought to be a Soviet spy satellite in orbit. Oh. A follow-up article confirmed that the object was the remains of an Air Force Discoverer 8 satellite that had gone astray. Is this the night satellite? But this is kind of, yeah, this is kind of delved and morphed into a mysterious Black Knight satellite, Mm -hmm. uh, which was seen by both Russian and American air defense units. And it was neither of their stuff. 15 tons was bigger than any country could have sent at that time. It disappeared after about three weeks. The black light satellite conspiracy theory claims that there is a spacecraft in near polar orbit of the Earth that is of extraterrestrial origin. Cool. And that NASA is engaged in a cover-up regarding its existence and origin. This conspiracy theory combines several unrelated stories into one narrative, and it goes through tons of years, but it kind of starts like in the 1800s. Oh wow! So you can you'll eventually hopefully delve more into yeah. more of those. Okay. Um, and then we got a new number one song on the Billboard chart, which you started blabbing about. Well, you can cut it out the part out. A new number one song on Monday, February 8th. Do you know who sings this? You're bragging about how much you know this song. I don't know if I remember who it is. Who is it? It's not Johnny Mathis, is it? Nope. This is a teenage tragedy song written by Jean Dinning. I would never have guessed it. And her husband, Red Surrey. There's so many of these kinds of songs at this time period where the teenager dies. Oh, yeah. Like somebody's boyfriend dies or girlfriend dies. Why? Why Why did so many people sing about that? Well, I don't know, but this was performed by both Gene's brother, Mark Dinning, and Alex Murray in 1959. I think this is one, though. A lot of these, too. There's a lot of songs in the 60s where they're singing to a teen angel, and it's like a grown man singing about how much he wants Mrs. Kissing her and stuff. But it's, oh, it's well, probably but supposed to be a teenager he's singing supposed to, to a, be teenager. a teenager. Yeah. Right. But when you see them as an old man, it's creepy. Yeah. Um, this song was not an instant success. Uh, and radio stations actually banned the song, considering it too sad. Oh. But despite the reluctance of radio stations, it continued to climb the charts. People wanted it. Yep. Uh, Dinning, who sings this? He is the uncle of Dean Dinning, the bass guitarist for Toad the Wet Sprocket. Oh. Yep. Um, Runs in the family. Anyway, the song is about a girl and her boyfriend who go out for a ride together. He pulls her to safety when the car is stalled on a railroad track. Is in the path of an oncoming train, but then she runs back to the car and is killed in the collision. When her body is recovered, the narrator's high school class ring is in her hand, which is apparently the reason she ran back. The last verse ends with the lyrics, I'll never kiss your lips again, they buried you today. Jesus. That's pretty heavy for... Yeah. And and besides it being really sad, um, it sucks. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) It does suck. Now, you're not going to say that all the music of this this year sucks just because it's so different from what modern music is is you're not going to do that are you i already said that because ugashaka song wasn't that bad well what about in old el paso that was terrible it's not that was terrible and you're a bad person and are, are actually Just because it's so different no, from now no here, no that's not why i don't like it i don't like it because it's terrible and our mar- i don't like country songs at all they're terrible and our marriage is actually in danger now because of your like for it well you know what <clears throat> you're gonna have to learn to love it <laughs> February 9th, 1960. Yeah. A milkman sounded his horn several times in an, in an attempt to get the attention of a driver of a station wagon okay. that was blocking the middle of a bridge over Turkey Creek. Oh, yeah. Near Morrison, Colorado. I don't know where that is, but I would probably honk my horn as well to get him out of the. Hey, dude, get out of the. F- 
freaking way. When there was no response, he got out of his truck and walked to the vehicle. It was empty, but its engine was running and the radio was playing. In the middle of the bridge? Yeah. Is this a milkman? Yeah. Because there were milkmen back then. Yes. Now there are no milkmen. No, there's not. A few more beeps on the horn didn't bring the driver back, so the milkman moved the car himself to the side of the road. Might as well. It's running. And he noticed a reddish-brown stain on the bridge and a hat on the edge of the riverbank below. Huh. So reddish-brown stain could be poop or blood. Yes. Or bloody poop or... Oh, bloody poopy, poop. Poopy blood. <laughs> or poopy blood. Yeah. Okay. I wonder where the line is when it goes from bloody poop is to poopy blood. Is it bloody poop? Yeah, that's, poopy po- blood. that's poopy blood right there. <laughs> Are you so sure? Gross. I think it's bloody poop. <laughs> no, so that's, gross. That's All right. poopy blood. We're done with that conversation. <laughs> Queen City Podcast Network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. poopy, All right. Is there poopy mayonnaise and mayonnaise All poop? right. Stop. I don't know. Sorry. The milkman reported the matter to the local police who quickly determined that the car belonged to Adolf Coors III, who was the heir to the Coors Brewing Company fortune. And Coors is uh, actually now they own a whole bunch of other breweries now too. Like oh yeah, kind of combined with a bunch of them, it's like Miller Coors now. So it's like Miller oh, Miller and, and Coors are the same now. Uh, Miller Coors, I think, is one thing, and they own like um, like uh, what's the Michelob Ultra? I think. Oh is yeah. One. Like recently, I was. I may have been running a trivia, a beer trivia oh my uh, session God. with some friends. God, you're such a nerd. And I may you're have been such like a nerd. making people guess <laughs> what, <laughs> what are all part of Miller Coors. Oh, my uh, God. So I, I may remember that. But. All right. Anyway, um, Coors had left his house not far from the bridge that morning. But had, oh, so he lives under the bridge? Not far is, from is the it, bridge, I said. Well, not far from the bridge. Mm, that's under. So he lives under a bridge is what you're saying. He's a no. troll. No, he um, no. he had not been seen since he left home that but morning. But he's rich. He's so rich searchers guy. soon spread out over the area looking for the missing 45-year-old father of four. 45 years old and he's got four kids? Yes. Yo, bro, put it in your pants. In, the, in addition to the hat, a few objects belonging to Coors were found below the bridge, but oh, no, okay. no other trace was found during the wider search. What other guesses? Let's guess these objects. His paper Well, first of all, his stapler, first of all, if you, protractor. in this time period, yeah. if you did not have your hat... It was a big fucking deal because I've listened to history podcasts <laughs> and if the first thing somebody, if somebody loses their hat in a history podcast, yeah. they freak the fuck out. Like everybody's fucked it, up. It'd be that like, it'd be like, your, it'd be like What's your pants. What's he doing without his hat? It'd be like if oh, you lost no. your pants, your if, if you got injured and your pants fell off. Yeah. People would be like, oh, my God, give him something to cover up. It was that was what hats were oh in this time period. He's not wearing a hat. How dare you hatless? Bastard. It was, it's crazy. Get out of here. You hatless bastard. Go so get your hat somebody leaving their hat somewhere. That's a sign he of some serious hat. malfeasance he going on. So if you saw a hat in 1960 anywhere, you see a hat. That's just this sitting somewhere. Somebody has been in danger. It's a it's a dangerous situation. You yes. must find the person whose hat. Like no one would leave their hat. That, that's exactly right. So there were no roller coasters where people just their hats fly off. There well, were no people didn't wear visors make, then. They would go hunting for it probably if they did. Well, they didn't have visors. No, unless like you, you were see, an accountant. I think accountants wore them. Yeah, with like the board, or you played yeah. poker. Yeah. Yeah. All right, anyway, anyway, I don't know why we're talking about that. Anywho, 24 hours later, the FBI entered the case to help Colorado authorities. With the passage of a day since Coors' disappearance, the um, federal kidnapping statute could be invoked, and the full investigative resources of the Bureau could be called upon. Oh, and how much time? A day? 24 hours later. 24 hours? You can't do it? Yep. Coors' wife, Mary, received a typewritten note that day demanding a ransom for the return of her husband. Okay. Under the guidance of law enforcement, she followed the instructions regarding contacting the killer... I mean, kidnapper, but heard nothing back. Oh, you thought kidnapper, but you're giving us it away. I'm giving it away a little bit. The FBI laboratory began analyzing available evidence, especially since the ran- especially the ransom note, which yeah. had a distinct typeface and was written on paper with an uncommon watermark. Oh, no, this isn't this isn't your regular everyday run of the middle watermark. That's my forensic files. That's where the forensic files. There was a forensic files about this, and that's this is what they focused watermark. on. We don't um, go for these fancy watermarks here. So meanwhile, state and local police pursued leads closer to the scene of the crime, conducting extensive interviews and other investigative activities. 
They soon focused on a canary yellow mercury that had been seen in the area on several occasions and tried to track down its driver, a man who called himself Walter Osborne. I tell you, I saw that Walter Osborne and his yellow mercury, I see. I tell you. And that, I remember I talked yeah. like this, see, in the 60s, right? Or was it the 40s? That was of more like 40s, I think. Yeah, see? Huh. Yeah. The FBI learned that Osborne had disappeared around the time of Coors's abduction, but before doing so had obtained a gun, handcuffs, and a typewriter. Hmm. And he has all the things he needs yep. for just this ransom note, see? And, and, and the, the watermark. The Bureau also learned that Osborne had obtained an insurance policy at a previous job, and that policy designated a man named Joseph Corbett as his beneficiary. Uh-oh. Corbett. Who's Joseph Corbett? He had a son, Joseph Corbett Jr. No, because that, that, that checks out, actually. Who if had, your name was Joseph Corbett yeah. and you had a son, you probably named him Joseph Corbett Jr. So this guy was previously convicted of murder but had escaped from a California prison. Uh, oh, so he's supposed to be in jail. Now he's a chief suspect in the Coors case. The FBI obtained a fugitive warrant for him and placed him on the 10 most wanted fugitives list. Okay, let me ask you this. Why wouldn't they do a fugitive warrant for him just when he escaped? <laughs> like, wh Why wouldn't they already be doing that? Right, that's true. Uh, no, I'm asking. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I don't know why. But you're the expert. I, I don't know what the FBI was thinking. Well, you were an FBI expert that no. we brought in, and no. I paid money. So anyway, throughout that, the summer of 1960, Corbett Jr.'s trail remained cold. Okay, well, God, we got to get Greg the Hammer Valentine. But, tragically, um, the trail leading to Adolph Coors ended September 11th, 1960, oh. when some hikers came across a pair of trousers in the woods about 12 miles southwest of Sedalia. So the whole thing you said about the pants versus the hat was foreshadowing. Because they found yeah. his trousers. Yeah, the pants had a key ring bearing pants. the initials AC the third. The trousers, other items of clothing, and skeletal remains found there were determined to, believe, to belong to Coors. Trousers? He died without his pants, see? A jacket and shirt had bullet holes that showed he'd been shot in the back. An analysis oh. of a shoulder bone confirmed this. Did it, any evidence of why his pants were off? Maybe animals probably or something animals don't want you to wear pants in the no woods. it's true it must be <laughs> yeah. that, that's exactly what i'm saying <laughs> you're not supposed to wear pants you, you've got my that was my exact idea yeah, when take I said your that. pants off you're in the woods the story of course disappearance remained in the public eye and was featured in various publications including reader's digest Oh, my grandma Which probably read about it my, back then. Oh, my grandmother loved yes. Reader's Digest. That see. was everybody read Reader's Digest in the 60s. My grandmother still reads it. Yeah. Corbett Jr.'s wanted photos sparked interest in leads across America, but it was the magazine's readers in Canada who would break the case. Oh, snap. Canada to the rescue. One reader pointed the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and their FBI allies to an apartment rented by a man who resembled Corbett Jr., mm. but the man had re recently moved on, so they went and they... Tr tried to bang yeah. down the door and it, right. it was empty it when was they empty, then, huh? yeah the next day the manager of a rooming house in winnipeg called local police to report that a man who looked like the fugitive had recently stayed at her flop house flop house she also noted that's where a flop house in case you don't know that's where you have sex with pancakes yes she also noted that the suspect had been driving a fire engine red pontiac fire engine red see that new information went out across canada and on october 29th 1960 a vancouver Vancouver, Vancouver police officer reported a similar vehicle parked outside of local motor inn. Oh, October 29th, 1960, the same day that... Fill in the blank here. Okay. Um, so the, the police were knocking on the door of the hotel room. The man who answered said, I give up, I'm the man you want. Wow. Corbett Jr. was returned to Colorado where he was tried by the state for Coors murder. Because Coors' remains were found within the state, he wasn't tried on federal kidnapping charges. During the trial, the FBI offered 23 agents, five lab examiners. Okay, this part's kind of boring. Um, hold on, I'm going to switch yeah, over to this. I was going to see if I have anything for October 29th. I can fill that in right now. Hold on, just... I'm going to move to this. No. This is an ASMR video. No, it's not. Um... As there were no witnesses, prosecutors built their case against Corbett through circumstantial and forensic evidence, like the circumcision, circumstantial, oh, circumstantial, but forensic, forensic evidence. evidence like the like a forensic files, the ransom note. Corbett's yeah. co-workers overheard him talking about a plan that would earn him over a million dollars, and the ransom note typeface was traced back to Corbett's typewriter. The biggest piece of evidence, however, 
was the dirt found in the undercarriage of the yellow Mercury. Investigators were able to trace the car's path by noting the rare Inkfeld spar and granite minerals found in the area of Coors body was discovered. So, um, the same minerals were under the undercarriage of the car. I got all kinds of dirt on my undercarriage. So Corbett was convicted of um, first degree murder on March 29th, 1961 and mm. sentenced to life in state prison. March 29th, 1961. And he was released on parole in 1980 for good behavior and drove a truck for the Salvation Army until he retired. He died by suicide at the age of 80 on August 2009. Wait, they let him out of jail for good behavior after a murder? In 1980. Huh. So They let murderers out of jail? Yeah, they do. Hmm. They get you can paroled. kill somebody. Yep. He, hmm. he, um, Wait, he, when did they get him out of jail? In um, March... 19 what did i say 1980 uh, of what year what day i don't know it oh. was just in 1980 okay jesus so he um drove a truck for the salvation army until he retired okay he died by suicide at the age of 80 in august 2009 oh he killed himself in 80 that's right it, at, at the age of, yeah he lived in and 2009 died. yeah he lived and died just 10 miles from where the kidnapping uh, from where he killed Coors and always maintained his innocence. Oh, so he never admitted it. Yeah, he never did. Maybe he was innocent. The kidnapping was featured in the Forensic Files episode, Bitter Brew. Yeah, we watched that one. Yep. In 2017, the true crime book, The Death of an Heir, Adolf Coors III and the Murder that Rocked American Brewing Dynasty by Philip Jett details the kidnapping. We should read that. What are you, Now, what do you want to reference where you got this info from? I got... Um, what, I don't know where you got that one from. Oh. I got... Wikipedia. FBI.gov gave me... Some uh, stuff. Some stuff. And Wikipedia. Well, that was interesting. I'm glad you did all that research for this, babe. And I'm falling more in love with you now. Well, thanks, sweetheart. But we've run out of time. Oh, you're right. I mean, we can't just have every episode go 100 hours. As much as we'd like it to. Yeah, we'd like it to. Yeah, maybe we should <laughs> be a hundred-hour podcast. What um did you want to look up? Like, what if that would be the new next big thing? Is is somebody recording like everything they do in a podcast form? Like all day long. All day long. And now I am eating my ham sandwich for yeah. lunch. I just finished making it. Now I gotta go take and a shit. I'm gonna take a bite. I'm, yeah. I'm still eating, what if that's the new? I'm eating my what if that's sandwich. the next big thing? And um, in the room, stop, oh, I'm eating, stop doing that with the. Uh, sorry. In the, in the room that I'm eating this ham sandwich, I see a a, a bag of onions. Okay. I see my grandmother's uh, picture of my grandmother. All right. Um, All right. We I made the point that that would basket. be a terrible idea. Um, All right, there, so there's a television on, and then Chuck Berry just pop, walked in. Popeye and Greg the Hammer Valentine posters all over the, all the walls. Chuck Berry just walked in. Can we change it to Greg the Hammer Valentine just walked no. in? No, Greg the Hammer Valentine no, podcast, y'all. Greg the Hammer That's Valentine out. So dumb. Do you know who Greg the Hammer Valentine? I feel like you don't know who Greg the Va Hammer Valentine. Is. This joke is not even funny. That's not a joke. It's an homage. This bit is not funny at it's all. It's not a bit. Do you know who Greg the Hammer Valentine is? That's what I'm asking. You know I what do, looks unfortunately. Like? That, that's the last one. Chuck Berry, get out of here. We're so tired of hearing about the six days. I said we're so tired of hearing about the six days. When you were all alone no watched our kids in the sky.
American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.